who is Jesus? What does it mean to believe in him? Uh, like, you know, maybe there's quite a few people out there who, who just think, you know, if you come to church that, that you're Christian. And that's just evidence of confusion. Confusion about who Jesus is and what it means to follow him. Um, so there's, there's people out there that, you know, are hesitant to place their faith in Jesus because to them, they, they understand that to be committing intellectual suicide at the same time. If I, if I choose to follow Jesus, then I, I'm committing suicide intellectually. And so they're just confused because that's not true. But they, they think that because they're confused about the relationship between knowledge and faith. And we've talked about that some in the past. Um, even worse, oftentimes people uh, who are confused, they don't realize they're confused because they think they have the opposite of confusion, which is clarity. They, they think that they're clear about something, uh, but they're even more confused because they're, they're not right. They, they, they don't have the clarity. So for example, um, say one of your friends was wanting to kick the tires on Christianity, you know, kind of curious, seeking. And so rather than going and talking to you, they go to a Christian bookstore and they, 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 they see, oh, well, this is a best-selling book in a Christian bookstore. Uh, this will show me who Jesus is, what it means to follow him. Um, and maybe it's, there, there are some great best-selling Christian books. Maybe it's helpful. There's some that are sold in Christian bookstores that really won't be helpful giving you an ac- accurate and adequate picture of, of who Jesus is. Um, so they read the book, you know, they understand it, they think they have clarity, but it just leads to a more deeply embedded confusion. Um, and I'm not just talking about confusion of people who are uh, not yet followers of Jesus, but, uh, you know, when I look at my life, confusion has been an obstacle for me to overcome even after I chose to follow Jesus. I, ch- I chose to follow him when I was five years old, got baptized when I was six, but I grew a little bit, but I didn't grow a whole lot in those early years. Uh, and a big reason was I had some questions. I had some questions that I didn't ask. So I had some confusion that just lingered, right? When I started asking those questions and seeking those answers, uh, I experienced growth. Um, and so confusion, all that to say, confusion is present today, both within and outside of the church. And it's easy to think, oh man, how great would it have been to be there when Jesus multiplied the fish and the loaves? How great would it have been to be there when Jesus raised people from the dead, when Jesus himself was raised from the dead? Confusion would be gone, right? Not so much. We're going to see in our passage today that there was confusion back then, just as there is confusion now about who Jesus is, what it means to follow him. But I also want us to see that clarity is possible. In fact, it's more than possible. It's very available to anybody, to you and to others around you. And the reason that clarity is available, the reason we can know Christ adequately and accurately is because he is a friend of sinners. If Jesus was not a friend of sinners, then we would be stuck in our confusion, stuck in the despair that it ultimately leads us to as people. So today and for the next two messages that I'm going to give, uh, we're going to focus on this phrase, Jesus, friend of sinners. Uh, because, I mean, frankly, every time we get together, we talk about Jesus. We talk about, you know, like our call to become like him. And if, if we have this picture of Jesus in our minds as we move towards becoming like Jesus, if we have this picture of him, uh, 
that does not include Jesus as a friend of sinners, um, we're going to become unlike Jesus versus becoming like him. And so we need to understand what this means. So we're going to look at the three passages all in the Gospel of Luke that really unpack this phrase, Jesus, friend of sinners. Today, Luke 7, uh, in two weeks, we'll continue Luke 7, uh, but this is part one. So the, the words will be on the screen beginning in verse 18, but I want to tell you what happened. It's right before verse 18, Jesus raises a widow's son back to life. A widow whose husband, whose husband had died, her only family was this one son, she lost him. And Jesus comes and raises this widow's son back to life. And so the people are amazed. And they're saying things like, a great prophet has come to us. God has come to help his people. News of this event has spread. And so John the Baptist, he's still around his, his disciples, his followers, uh, told him about these things. Verse 18, that's where we're picking up. And so John the Baptist called two of his followers and he sent them to the Lord Jesus to ask, are you the one who was to come, Jesus? Or should we expect someone else? Because John's whole ministry was a ministry of preparation, preparing the way for the one who was to come after him. Because the one who came after John the Baptist was the great one, the one greater than John the Baptist. So, so these men came to Jesus, verse 20, and they said, hey, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who is to come? Are you the one we've been preparing and waiting for? Or should we expect someone else? At that time, at that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits. He gave sight to many who were blind. And so he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy, a skin disease, are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. So, John's messengers left, and Jesus began to speak to the crowd. Remember those, those masses of people who were kind of hanging out because Jesus was doing amazing things? He began to speak to the crowd about John the Baptist. And he said to the crowd, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? Jesus loved teaching by ask, asking questions. What did you go out to see? Did you go out to see the nature of reeds swayed by the wind? No. If not, what did you go out to see? In the wilderness, a man dressed in fine clothes. No, you didn't go out to see that because people who wear expensive clothes and live lives of luxury, they're in palaces, not in the wilderness. So what did you go out to the wilderness to see? A prophet? He's talking about John the Baptist. Did you go out to see a prophet? Yes, Jesus said, I tell you, more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you? So uh, Jesus quotes Isaiah about John the Baptist, and, and, and he's saying, you not only went out to see a prophet, you went out to see a prophet's prophet. You follow me? Like a prophet, John the Baptist, who was prophesied about. He's, he's, he's kind of blowing up John the Baptist, you know, big deal. Verse 28, I tell you all, among those born of women, there's none greater, no one is greater than John the Baptist. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he, greater than John the Baptist. And all the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, they acknowledged God's way was right because they'd been baptized by John. But the Pharisees and the experts in the law, 
The religious leaders of the day rejected God's purposes for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. And Jesus went on to say, to what then can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace calling out to each other. We played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not cry. For John, the ba- Jesus continues talking. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine. And you say he has a demon. And the son of man, Jesus's title for himself, came eating and drinking. And you say, here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by all her children. Let's pray real quick. Uh, Jesus, would you open our eyes that we'd behold wonderful things uh, from your word this morning? And would you open our hearts so that we don't just understand, but we actually intend to do that which you invite us to do and that which you command us to do. Help us to see you as you really are in this passage. We love you. Amen. So there's a lot in this passage. I just want to focus on three helps, three ways that we can get clarity, three helps toward clarity in this passage. And the first one that I see is a help towards clarity by using contrast. So verses 29 through 32, we see a very stark contrast that I need to point out I, I, I need you all to get what this contrast is because it's going to come in the next two messages as well. Every time that you see the Pharisees and the sinners together, there's this, there's this incredible contrast. It's like, uh, well, it's, it's like the, the rich and the poor sitting right next to each other in our society today. There, there's just opposite ends of societal spectrum, okay? Um, the Pharisee. They are the religious elite and they have power with the Jewish people because they're kind of the keeper of the law of God. They teach the law. They live out the law. Um, they're, they're the religious elite. And uh, the, the tax collectors, they're the sellouts. I mean, the best way I can describe it is we just celebrated July 4th, right? Which is our nation's independence from who? England, right? Great Britain, that's right. Well, imagine that we we're still under Britain's rule. We were still paying taxes to Britain. And you called yourself an American. And you worked for the IRS, the Internal Revenue Service of England. Okay, this is kind of the dynamic of first century Jews. They were paying taxes to the Rome. And, and they believed they should not be under Roman rule. But the Jews were working for the IRS of Rome. Okay. And, and so they despised tax collectors because they were sellouts. And on top of being a sellout, they overcharged you. So they were, they were immoral sellouts. <laughs> and, and, and sinners also, uh, uh, in, this, in this passage, sinners basically means they're the people in society that ev- everybody looks at them and they're like, oh yeah, I know what you did last summer. I know what you did 10 years ago. Your sin, you're missing the mark in your life, that stuck with you, that's your identity now, okay? Publicly known as sinners or despised people, tax collectors. And the religious leaders are saying, Jesus is among them, okay? But Jesus is saying that 
the Pharisees are also sinners. The Pharisees, he's saying the people of this generation, he's talking to the Pharisees because they're the ones who are rejecting John the Baptist and therefore rejecting Jesus as well. And he's saying, look, you're a sinner too because God sent John, God sent the prophets and, and you're not responding. So, so when he's, you know, the whole thing about we, we played a dirge for you, uh, we played, what was the other one? We played the pipe for you and you didn't dance a dirge and you didn't cry. Jesus is saying, look, you're like kids who go out into the field. Today's illustration would be like, you go out into the field to play football and some kids bring a basketball. Like they're they're just, they're not playing football, okay? But then you go to the basketball courts thinking, okay, Joel, Joel didn't want to play football. He brought a basketball. But then you go to the basketball courts and you're like, no, I don't want to play there either. In, in his illustration, they're playing, they're playing wedding, playing happy, and then they're playing funeral. They're, pl- they're playing sad. And, and Jesus is saying, look, you're just not willing to, to play. You're obstinate. You're self-centered. Uh, you're just doing whatever you want. And so what Jesus is doing is he's pointing out, look, the Pharisees are sinners too. And so the contrast is those who are known as sinners and those who are known as righteous in their own eyes. But the application for us is what Jesus is teaching is that, look, there really is no contrast. It appears to be a contrast, but they're all sinners. So the application is, we have all sorts of differences in this room, difference in genders, difference in stage of life, difference in age, different socioeconomic, different ethnic backgrounds, but all of our differences today and even back then, our, our differences are overshadowed. They're, they're less than our commonality. Our commonality is that we're all sinners. We're all incredibly valuable. Don't hear me say you're not valuable when I say you're a sinner, that I'm a sinner. But th- that's what we have in common. And so when we look at people, like when we go shopping at Dillon's or Leakers or Walmart, and, and we see all these people, I, an application of this text is just to look at people as God does. You might not know them from Adam, but look at people as God does. Y- you have more in common with them than you have indifference with them. And you can, when you start looking at people like that and praying for them, you can connect to anybody. It doesn't matter if they're a grandparent and you're not a parent. It, it, all those life things Life stages things like, you know, it's nice when they line up, but they don't need to line up. Even if they don't believe in Jesus, you can connect to someone because you you know in your heart that you both need Jesus. You know that you're both a sinner. And so that contrast is a help towards clarity because it helps us see, look, we we look different. uh, We might sound different. But uh, there's one thing that's not different, which is we're all sinners. And that leads us to the second help, which is the similarity. And here's how Jesus, here's his invitation towards sinners. Is this, it, it's the same invitation in verses 18 through 28. He said, y'all heard John. Y'all heard John. But he's saying, no matter who you are, if you're a Pharisee or if you're a tax collector, you can be greater than John the Baptist. You can be greater than a prophet's prophet. And Jesus does not make any distinction between Jew or Greek, slave or free, 
female or male, rich or poor, white or black, criminal history or not. Jesus is saying, you can be greater than John the Baptist. Are you in the kingdom of God? If you're in the kingdom of God, you can be greater than John the Baptist. So if you're here today and you're not sure if you've entered into the kingdom of God, all you have to do is commit to repent and to live a lifestyle of repentance. Repentance means changing your mind, turning away from yourself towards God. And you can do that right now. You don't even have to bow your head. <laughs> don't even have to close your eyes. I'm not going to make you raise your hand. But I would encourage you, if you're doing that for the first time, to tell someone. Or, more likely, there's probably more of us here have been like, yeah, I made that decision. I, I'm continuing to make that decision. But what this means for us, application-wise, is are you inviting other people in? This is Jesus inviting all these people in to the kingdom. Do you believe that the people around you are greater or could be? They have within the potential of their lives to be greater than John the Baptist. Yeah, that's, that's pretty impressive because John the Baptist is pretty impressive. But the similarity is everybody's invited. doesn't matter who you are, you're invited. And Jesus is a friend of sinners in that he invites them in. And so our last help today towards clarity is found in perception versus reality. We often perceive things that may or may not be true. They may not be in line with reality. So for example, they thought John was too weird to be from God. John the Baptist, he didn't eat or drink like normal people uh, living out in the wilderness. He ate locusts and wild locusts and honey. Um, so, so the Pharisees thought he's too weird to be from God. He's too weird. They thought Jesus was too happy to be from God. You know, he, he was associating with people who ate too much and drank too much. And so Jesus, Jesus must have been a party boy is what they assumed. And Jesus doesn't even respond to their accusations directly. He just says, wisdom is proved right by all her children, which essentially means just keep watching. See what happens. See what happens with these people who continue to follow me. And what happens is this. In the book of Acts, ordinary, unschooled men uh, speak and move and live powerfully for Jesus. A small group, like a small, small group, makes an enormous impact on the world. Because they've been with Jesus. Not because of their skill set, not because of their experience, but because they've been with Jesus. And all the powerful people of the world, they just take note. These are ordinary people who had been with Jesus. And so the application for us is we have to be serious about walking with Jesus. And if you are, then just keep walking with Jesus. Keep making that your highest priority on a daily basis, on a weekly basis. Maybe for you that means I need to get five minutes in prayer and in the scriptures. Maybe for you it's, I need to start mentoring and discipling somebody else. Maybe it's, I'm not praying. I'm not inviting other people into the kingdom. That makes me uncomfortable. Well, join the club. That makes most of us uncomfortable. But take the next step. Keep walking with Jesus and walking with people. Over time, you'll get to know him better and better. Jesus is incredibly patient 
with you and with those who are unchurched and who are far from God, but his patience has a point. He's a friend of sinners, but the point is friendship with him, not that people can continue to do whatever they want. And so we're all different, but what we have in common is stronger than our differences. We're all sinners in need of Jesus. And when we experience, not just know, but experience in our lives that Jesus is our friend as a sinner, then we're ready and we're willing and we're more able to persuade and invite others. Hey, I know you, you, know, you, you might think you're a long way away from God, and you might be but Jesus wants to be your friend. So let's pray. And let's start by just talking with God about our own sin. (laughs) It's really important to identify that as specifically as you can, not just admit, oh yeah, I have messed up, but my anger My anger is sin. My envy is sin. So be be as specific with God as you can be. Jesus, thank you for being patient with us, for forgiving us, cleansing us from all unrighteousness. We pray that your forgiveness toward us would move us to to be invitational um, toward others. So talk to God about people uh, in your life who you know, um, who do do not trust Jesus, uh, who do not, aren't, aren't plugged into a community, a church. Um, and pray that they would see his offer of friendship.